Welcome to the Next Level Sales Leadership Summit. If you are a sales leader earlier-ish in your career, uh, you're in the right place. This is the podcast where we're going to help you shorten the learning curve, hit your number faster, harder, and less stress. I'm your host, Derek Jankowski. Man, I've got a good episode for you today. Most of what we're going to talk about today is from the first sales leadership book I ever read called Cracking the Sales Management Code. We're going to do part one today, part two next week. And so it's going to be a lot from the book mixed in with how I've used it, my own observations, a little bit I'll be adding on myself that accentuates some of these things. So before we jump in, just want to remind you, if you're into this kind of stuff and you want to get where you're going faster, check out the Next Level Leadership Mastermind. You can see the link for that in the show notes. We just review stuff like this every single week, go in depth and help you solve your specific uh, business and team and career challenges. So without further ado, this is part one of Cracking the Sales Management Code, plus some of Derek's experience. The idea with this book is uh, it's really to think about what you can actually manage. I almost called this session, what can you really manage? So here's the thing is your boss wants you to deliver a specific number. And it can often feel like you're sprinting all month, stressing out about whether or not you're going to hit, You'll spend time with your reps, hauling deals across the finish line. That is the most stressful way to manage. And it's actually not all that effective. All right. So we're going to cover a better way. This is an abridged version of a talk that I gave to the mastermind group a couple of months ago. And, you know, this is about what you can really manage next week is the elemental sales processes. This is, you know, like I said, this is the first book I ever read. I went online and Googled a bunch of books, compared them to each other, totaled up which ones got recommended the most. This was number one. I read it on the plane out to California. I, you know, I may have actually failed in my most recent leadership role without it. It's a huge part of the reason I started this podcast and I started the mastermind and you'll understand why shortly. And so to start, the author breaks down the difference between top teams of eras past and what is required today to be really a world uh, renowned team, so to say. The old school way of thinking about this is that sales organiza organization success is tied to what they call the three S's. Selection, so it's recruiting highly skilled salespeople. Strategy, which is making insightful sales plans for each target account. And skill, teaching reps how to make effective calls. Now, those are still important ingredients, but according to the authors, they're no longer enough. In, in the work that they did, they found teams that nailed all three of those but we're still losing to their competitors. Now, there are, of course, things that they looked at like better pricing, better marketing, culture, distribution advantages. When they controlled for all of those things and really looked at companies apples to apples, still organizations who got the, those three S's right were often being outsold. So they landed on the, called the three M's, management, so it's especially the first line management, the sales manager, that may be the most important role in the entire organization. The second thing is, the second M is metrics. And it's metrics beyond activity-based. And it's not just about the end result either. And the third is methodology, which 
He defined as just working with a systematic and disciplined approach, uh, which is having a systematic and disciplined approach actually is more important than which exact one that you pick. So let's dive into some of those. If you think about management, what they talk about in this book is that you can turn around an underperforming team with a great manager, but, you know, sorry, I'm going to reset that. You can turn around an underperforming team if the frontline management has good potential, even with mediocre salespeople. But even if the salespeople are pretty good, but frontline managers are low quality, no amount of training makes a difference. Uh, they throw in a couple of quotes from Neil Rackham. He wrote Spin Selling and others. One of the quotes they drop in is that, quote, it's even more important to select good sales managers than good salespeople, unquote. And this is my favorite quote. There are many thousands of bright, high potential sales managers who are highly motivated to succeed and who are nevertheless struggling to survive. They are ready and willing to do the right thing. What they lack is help and advice on what to do, unquote. Again, if that's you, check out the mastermind group. You'll love it. Uh, not going to cover a ton about management because a lot of that is do, do these things that we're going to talk about. So let's get right into metrics. Metrics are important because they allow us to measure, understand, control, and improve the performance of our sales force. Now, to the typical sales manager or leader anywhere in the organization, Metrics can just mean too many things. And, you know, call volume, profitability per person, blah, 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 ACV. When they did a study for this book, the authors identified 306 different uh, metrics that leadership tracked. 306. They were not consistent. Different orgs tracked track tremendously different things. There doesn't seem to be a best practice. Some leaders use three metrics and they track their whole org with those. Some use 16. The critical thing is to understand which metrics are the most important for what you are trying to do right now. What are you trying to accomplish in this moment, this month, this quarter, whatever it is? It's the primary purpose of this book. And I really recommend that you read it. This episode is going to get you part of the way there and give you some actionable items. But the gist is, this is how I interpreted it and then what I did. I built out reporting for the whole funnel from activity down to revenue, all right? And so the way that we did it at my last company was, you know, activity were calls and emails. We did play with some other types of activity from faxes to LinkedIn, texting, didn't track those because they were such a small part of it. So that it went activity to what happened on those activities. So we track how often you talk to a decision maker versus a gatekeeper, no answer, leave voicemail. From there to demos booked, from demos booked to meetings ran, from meetings ran to wins, from wins to seats, from seats to revenue. So that was our funnel. You may have additional steps in there. You may have potentially fewer steps, but figure out what all of your steps are and build that reporting so that you can track the entire org and review that 
monthly. This lets you keep an eye on the entire org, but you're going to drill down on one or two metrics that you're focusing on at any given time. So for example, if you need more meetings, well, are you gonna focus on perform, show rate, or meeting set? What's the one that you have the most leverage on, where you have the most room to grow? And then how do you focus on that? What are the behaviors? So as a quick disclaimer, I don't think this is in the book, but I've learned this by experience. There's something called Goodhart's Law. And Goodhart's Law says that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. There are many ways to change a metric beyond the ways that you want to or that you can foresee. For example, if you focus on meetings books, you'll get reps who litter the board. You asked for more meetings booked, and that's what you got. Or if your focus is on win rate, reps will disqualify opportunities before those get counted in the rate. So making sure that your reps understand what you want to change, why you want to change it, and how they're expected to change that is key. And then follow up on that and drill in. And so let's get into all those things. So as an example, you know, if we were looking to drive more pipeline, I feel like for most organizations, you can never get enough pipeline. One of those metrics could be show rate. Now, every industry is different. When I sold into HR, nobody ever missed meetings. So it's unheard of. But when I sold into SMB medical practices, the industry standard, my understanding is that it was 50% of meetings actually, we were able to get that to 65% on outbound, closer to 80% when it was inbound, which meant without working harder or changing quality, a few additional words, a little bit of extra process, that's a lot more pipeline over time. And when the reps understand what, why, and how, they also are able to give you feedback and suggest additional things that they can do maybe technology that you can buy, maybe they discover better ways of executing the process and that continues to drive the number up. Um, so now I'll get a little bit into the methodology. So in the, in the book, they talk about the purpose of a sales process is to break down the sales cycle into tangible sequential steps and then to track leads opportunities as they flow through those steps. So when you map out your funnels I've described, that mapping out, should match to your methodology. Each conversion rate, each step has its own, you know, maybe you don't call it a, a specific stage for that opportunity or lead. It may or may not make sense to have that be a separate stage. But there's a process that goes with that. When a meeting gets booked, there's a process for actually booking the meeting, right? There's the whole scripting and everything. When you get a prospect on the phone, taking them to agree to a meeting. Then there's a whole process for getting them to show up. And then there's a whole process for running the meeting and getting that to be a, a qualified opportunity. So even though that's only two stages, that's three different processes. There are different lever, levers you can pull that impact your end result. What that does is it lets you diagnose and coach and then intervene. When you want to increase your results, that's three different things that you can look at 
to understand what you can do and what your team can do differently in order to impact those results. All right, so moving on to a couple more quotes from the book. They talk about the prevailing wisdom, which is that given the choice between, this is a quote, quote, prevailing wisdom says that given the choice between training salespeople and training managers, it is wiser to invest in the frontline sellers. They are the ones who conduct the actual customer facing activities and whose increased skills should translate directly into increased sales, right? The closer to the action the person is, the more crucial his abilities must be, end quote. But the point that they're making here in the book is that that actually is not true. Oftentimes what companies that they've worked with have done is they would invest a ton of money into training the frontline sellers on a new process by bringing a Sendler trainer or something like that. And if your managers aren't also trained on it, your reps are gonna fail. And not only do your managers need to be trained on that process, they need to be trained on uh, how to coach on that process and how to reinforce it. Okay, so your, man your reps get trained on the process, your managers get trained on the process, how to coach it, how to reinforce it. It's a lot more information, but your frontline leadership is such a huge source of leverage, you cannot pass this up, right? You have people to manage. It's not just about a number, it's about people. Good segue into our next, into our next step here. So the authors defined manage as something a frontline manager can directly influence by having one of their reps do something differently. So example, uh, well, let's give a non-sales example. So one of the, some of the ones that they give are your kids' grades. If you have kids, you can't manage the grade. You can't say, hey, go get an A, and an A just doesn't materialize. You can manage having your kids spend more time studying, but that's in your control grades are not fitness okay you cannot control your actual fitness results all right you can control whether you work out what that workout is what your diet is your calorie your macro intake do you walk do you drink enough water all these different variables that could potentially go into it you know and just like with fitness or with sales pick one thing and really focus on that till you get the habit where you want it to be and move on to the next thing. So as they walk through metrics, there's three categories. Now there's the one that we want to manage that, like I said, is completely unmanageable and that's results. So we're gonna start from the end. We're gonna start by saying we want X dollars in revenue or why number of new logos, we just cannot manage that. And a standard business is going to come down to you as a manager and say, your quota is X revenue, that breaks down to you know X divided by how many people you have on your team, right? So that breaks down to this much per person, go get it, thank you, <laughs> okay? But where the code starts to crack is when they, give you more than that when they tell you how to go execute it. That often does not happen. And so working backwards, the, the next step are called objectives. Those are the guideposts making sure you're heading in the right direction. How are you gonna deliver a specific result? So revenue gets acquired by signing up customers. 
all right? Or by customer retention. There's other metrics that could impact you too. You could shorten the sales cycle. You could get more people to quota. You could get more deals from outbound. You could present more products or reduce discounting or increase win rate. So those are your objectives. You also can't really control those. You can't just say, hey, everyone, let's magically take the win rate from 15 to 20%. So what, what that makes us focus on are the absolutely controllable things that this book calls activities. You can manage these because you can say to your rep, go do this, and they go do it. The scary thing is that only 17% of the metrics in the study they ran for this book were actually in the activities bucket. So more than three, three, I'm sorry, more than four fifths of the activities that or, sales orgs out there are tracking and trying to influence are actually ones they can control. That's crazy to me. All right, so ex examples of activities, all right? How many dials are you making a day? How many emails are you sending? Are you following the scripting? How much time are you spending? Are you prepping? Are you preparing for that call? Are you answering all the questions? Are you doing discovery? All right, some of these things get challenging to measure. There is no dashboard that just says how well your reps are doing discovery. Yes, you can grab conversation tools now and get better insight into that. And that's awesome. That's the reason why they're so important because this is the thing. If your reps aren't doing discovery, it becomes hard to impact close rate. So once you get that, so if your boss, if your company is not telling you how to get to a number, just probably most organizations out there, you got to figure it out yourself. So now that you have mapped out all of your funnel metrics, like we talked about in the beginning, and now that you have your executable or you know your, your result revenue, take a look at your funnel metrics and make a judgment call. What is the thing that you believe you can impact the most? Some things that I look at are I'll compare reps to each other. So if, you're, if you have six reps and they've got win rates like 10, two of them at 10, one at 15, two at 20, one at 25, well, then you know that the upper limit is probably 25. You can probably at least get everybody else to 20. What are those people doing differently that you could have everybody else do and move that win rate? And so as you plug that into your spreadsheet, that tells you what that impact is on your revenue, presuming everything else stays the same. All right. But maybe the thing to look at is, is that your reps who, who win the most revenue have the biggest pipeline or the healthiest pipeline, or um, they get specific information in early meetings. Those are things that you then want to teach and coach and hold your other reps accountable to doing. This is where the rubber meets the road. If you're doing these things, if you're holding your reps accountable, that's gonna be team meetings, emails, one-on-ones. This is the metric we're talking about this week until everybody gets here. That's how you put all this together. The most powerful thing you're gonna do, get into these details. So if your number's you know, a million bucks, all right? How do you figure this out? 
well, what's your average deal size? What's your win rate? What's your complete rate for meetings? What is your meeting set rate? Uh, you build from that million dollars to the top of the funnel. And that tells you what your reps need to be doing every single day. If you're in a two-stage cycle, then you can figure out how many dials your SDRs need to make to deliver the number of meetings that you need. All right? Because you've, you've figured out how many meetings your AEs need to run in order to do the deal, in order to get the number of deals that you need. Can you influence average contract value, win rate, show rate? So as you look at that data, this is going to become more apparent to you. So if you're lost, that's okay. Go out there, build this funnel. Have your sales ops person do it. You know, have somebody else who who's really good at the CRM do it. If if that's not you, right? I happen to be somebody who who figured out how to do it, but I know that most for most people, Salesforce is really confusing. Okay, or you might be in HubSpot or whatever CRM you're in. So what is that metric going to be for your team as we go into this next month? All right, so here's the overarching message from the guys in this book, and I am co-setting this 100%. You take control of your team's performance by moving from managing results like revenue or customers, which you cannot control, to managing activities, which is the closest to what you actually can control. Activities start the chain reaction that leads step-by-step to results. Love to hear, how and if you're able to put this into production, what the impact is, totally happy to answer any other questions about this. Hit me up on LinkedIn uh, or feel free to email me, Derek at DerekJankowski.com. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll probably like the Next Level Private Mastermind. It's a small group of newish sales leaders who are helping each other grow faster and become better. Each week, we cover a specific topic and troubleshoot actual issues new leaders run into. The link is in the show notes or go to DerekJankowski.com mastermind. Thanks.